When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ken Abzak, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire. Let's get back to talking some favorite scenes and moments, and I want to start looking at season four for myself, but if you have a scene from any season, call in and let me know. Season four, episode one, Oberyn says hello. The Red Viper, Oberyn Martell, left such a indelible mark on the story and the series. Pedro Pascal just came in and knocked that role out of the park. A one-and-done season for him. We all know how it ends. But if you go back to that first moment, the first scenes and sequences that Ober Martell are on the show, it's one of the best introductions of any character throughout the entire run of the show so far. Because you see the sexuality and the sexiness of this character and his uh, girlfriend, Ilaria Sand. Right away, you're, 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 you're in the brothel scene what's going on. Game of Thrones certainly know for known for its sex scenes and its... Uh, sex uh, content and nudity and pushing the bounds of what's acceptable on TV. This is no different, uh, except for it's slightly different. It's just slightly different. Then, the interaction with the Lannister soldiers. And everything about it. The slow walk. Oberyn puts his hand over the open flame. Uh, the uh, conversation with the Lannister soldiers. And then stabbing one with his uh, knife. Uh, explaining why a long sword is not the best in close combat. And then Tyrion Lannister walks in, and Braun. And then the sequence transitions into politics. We've had sex, we've had power. We now get the politics of Ober Martell. He is in town, pretty blatant that, yeah, he was invited, but he's here for a reason. And he, he and Tyrion speak truce. There's also a great exchange with Braun. And Oberyn, and up till now, Braun's been one of the more wittier characters, and here's Oberyn holding his uh, own with him. And the exchange between him and Braun about uh, what he was hired killer. Uh, no, I, I was, but now I'm a knight. How did that happen? I must have killed the right people. Oberyn laughs. And one of my favorite little subtle moments is when uh, Oberyn's like, all right, you guys are good. Uh, hey, uh, Oliver, get some girls here. Girls, right? And you cut back to Tyrion, and he's shaking his head no, and Braun is enthusiastically shaking his head yes. Funny little character moment there. And then you get the exposition. In exposition, you got to deliver it in Game of Thrones and in, in, in all movies and shows. And it can be clunky. It can be um, heavy-handed. That's why in the Austin Powers movies, uh, you have Michael York playing the character of Basil Exposition. Because literally, that's the purpose of his character. And here's Oprah Martell delivering a lot of exposition. But done in such a fantastic fashion from Pedro Pascual. And... It gives us another glimpse, because up until now, these first three seasons, we believe that Robert's Rebellion definitely began when Rhaegar kidnapped and raped and perhaps even murdered Lyanna Stark. We don't know what happened up in that Tower of Joy, right? So that that started a war. And though we now know and kind of always believed it was begun on a lie, Ober Martell comes into town and quite, quite uh, plainly says that Rhaegar left Elia Martell for another woman not to kidnap her not to start a war for the love of another woman it's a different perspective it's the right perspective and it is right here in our face in season four and 
We are coming out of season three, don't forget. The Red Wedding, Carnage, a lot of our heroes, a lot of the people we've been following for three seasons are now gone and dead. The Stark family's on the run. It is shattered. It is thrown against the wall and broken. And here comes Ober Martell sauntering into town, laying down a challenge pretty much right in the open. Tyrion, tell your father I'm here. <laughs> the Lannisters aren't the only ones to pay their debts. What an introduction. What a season. You left such a powerful mark on the show. Yep, vengeance swallowed him up in the end, and he should have finished the job with the uh, mountain. He got caught up. And that's why it was such a powerful, gut-shattering emotion. Every scene with Oba Martel. All the credit to Pedro Pascual. Pascal is uh, it's a home run. And it starts with this first moment. Season 4, Episode 1. Oberyn says hello. Hey, Ken, moving on to season four of the next scene I want to talk about is from The Lion and the Rose, which had the purple wedding in it. But the scene I want to talk about has to be one of the oddest scenes, maybe, of the show. And it's we're treated to this very odd dinner scene after they get done burning people with Stannis, Selyse, and Melisandre. Stannis is looking just more miserable than ever. Melisandre looks cheerful. Selyse is being her crazy self, but we get some story, some story in this episode. Selyse talks about how Stannis made uh, soup from bookbinders when Storm's End was under siege, and now he shot a, a seagull for her. But the, the important thing, the key thing with this odd scene is it starts to set up what's going to happen with Shireen. Selyse suggests that, you know, Shireen burn, that she needs the rod. Stannis then says, she's my daughter, you are not striker, which I cheered about at the time. But looking back... It was definitely a setup scene, but an odd one. You know, Eric, you and I are like-minded when it comes to Stannis Baratheon. I love that scene, that awkward dinner scene where Melisandre at one point is actually just carving up her meat, eating, having fun. Just a nice dinner, normal dinner for the old red priestess from a shy, just having a good time. And uh, what an awkward dinner with Stannis Melisandre, you know, the woman he cheated on his wife with, just sitting there eating with Solis. And, uh, yeah, it also is a testament to, um, I think, a lot of things. The heart of Stannis. Yes, Stannis has a heart, people. He does. He did at one point, at least. It's buried deep down inside. He's a strong, stern man. Not easy to love and not easily, uh, does not easily give love. But, uh, you know... Selyse's story about what happened at Storm's End, uh, how Stannis tried to provide for her, it's almost romantic from a certain point of view. All right, it's a stretch, but it's almost there. For Stannis Baratheon making soup out of bookbinding for his wife in the middle of a siege, pretty romantic. What a great time. What a what a romantic that Stannis Baratheon is. But yes, um, with Shireen and the foreshadowing there, that's what I love so much about Game of Thrones both uh, the book, Song of Ice and Fire series, and the show, you can go back and you can see scenes that didn't seem like much at the time, but they're there. And not just with prophecies or predictions, but just telling statements, uh, warnings, uh, and little clues. It's uh, uh, those those thoughts, uh, you know, Jamie Lannister's saying, um, uh, you know, his sword hand it makes him, and then he's going to lose his sword hand. Um, the vanity of Cersei, and she stripped of that va- vanity l- later. Uh, there's those kind of theories that go around on a lot of different shows uh, on the internet. Uh, you can break them on down, and uh, I've heard those theories, and I love it. And, that, and this scene with uh, 
with uh, Melisandre Stannis, Solis, uh, talking about Shireen and the punishment. It also shows how far Stannis did fall. Another reminder of the fall of Stannis Baratheon. Keep your favorite scenes coming here. We'll talk about that and a lot more here on Daily Thrones. Again, Kevin Ross, uh, kind of following up with Eric's question on on uh, Shireen, uh, one of my favorite moments is Stannis Baratheon and Shireen share a hug. Uh, where most people uh, tend to like Stannis, I am not exactly the biggest Stannis fan, but in this particular scene, you see where a father's pride wins the day. Uh, Shireen comes in, she's a little upset, uh, on the cusp of womanhood, and is afraid her father is ashamed of her. And the speech that he gives her is a speech that I think, to some degree, if I had a child, I would give to that child to boost her confidence. To know with absolute certainty that she has at least one ally in this world. Uh, she, uh, that's my choice for uh, Stannis Baratheon and Shireen share a hug. Thanks. Just wanted to put some additional Stannis material out there with Kevin on that call uh, about the, the hug with Shireen, which is uh, heartwarming. It tugs on the heartstrings. But while the spotlight is on Stannis, I figure get that call in. It's a good moment. Uh, too bad it ends the way it does with Stannis there. Uh, I uh, want to jump back to season one, not so much with a scene, but just an open forum discussion thoughts. I'm rambling off the top of my head. I was doing some research in season one of Game of Thrones and looking uh, at uh, episodes two, three, and four, just kind of uh, researching some of that stuff for uh, something at Collider Video and was struck by the scenes at the wall, getting to really watch it again with Tyrion heading up there, our introduction to Samwell, uh, Jon Snow being kind of a little smug punk at first, uh, and uh, also Benjen and Jon Snow's last moments, uh, which we know they won't be reunited again until season seven. And, and as I kind of thought during the season and a lot of people didn't like Benjamin's return and his final moments with Jon Snow. I think it really does tie well with this moment on top of the wall. Jon Snow thinks he's going to ride on out with Benjamin and uh you know, Benjamin's not having it because he knows Jon he knows Jon Snow is not ready. It's an important moment and the fact that we now know when they see each other again it will be at a pivotal point in Jon Snow's life. It adds some weight to that scene there. And then there's Tyrion at the wall. Now, Benjen and Tyrion don't get along. It's actually a great scene, and both uh, Yorin and Tyrion having fun there in the uh, mess hall the, of Castle Black. Benjen shows up just not having it, just hates those Lannisters. The very name just irks him, and Tyrion handles it so well. He's respectful, but he's also a little sassy, a little, little uh, fights back uh, with with Benjen as well then. But it, what, what I was watching is Tyrion in that scene, as he's talking to Benjen, does not believe. He respects the Night's Watch. I really do believe that and he's already seen them enough in action to respect them uh but uh, at that moment with benjen he does not really believe uh what is going on beyond the wall he believes it's about as he says you know the the, the only difference between us and the the wildings is when our ancestors were born we are on the right side of the wall and Benjamin kind of knows that's true, but he knows that they're a threat. He knows that they're a problem, at least that, uh, from that point of view at that point in the timeline. But it is interesting to 
watch that scene. And then just a short while later, uh, in the same time frame of these episodes, Tyrion's having a conversation with Maester Aemon and Jor Mormont, the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And it is while they are speaking, specifically Jor Mormont, that I think Tyrion actually starts to believe. Whether or not he doubts, whether or not he has time to really think about it later on when he's uh, down there preparing for the Battle of Blackwater and later on with the, his life not going the way he planned. Uh, he doesn't, maybe not, doesn't really have time to think about it again until he hits the ground running with Daenerys and her team at Dragonstone. Even then, they're preoccupied with taking over uh, the Seven Kingdoms, not worried about the White Walkers. But going back to season one, it I think is while Jor Mormont speaking. Speaking about Will, uh, the Night's Watchman who's, who abandoned uh, the, his vows in the opening scenes of the show and says that he talked about seeing the White Walkers right up until Ned Stark took his head off. And there's something in that statement, there's something from Jorah Mormont that I think Tyrion, for the first time, thinks that these Grumpkins and Snarks that were t uh, scary t stories told to him from his wet nurse might be just a little bit more. It's fun to go back and watch, especially with what we know now in Season 7. It's part of why I'm fascinated by the Night's Watch, the Wall, and everything north of the Wall. Even back in Season 1, the seeds were planted for a bigger threat. We all knew it. You watched the show. You saw it. But you got so wrapped up in the Game of Thrones and the politics, the fight for the throne... You just kind of forgot about that lingering danger north of the wall, which probably is the same thing that happened to Tyrion and definitely happened to the rest of the realm. That's it for now here on Daily Thrones. Don't forget we have the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Rate, review, subscribe if you're on there. If you're listening to the episodes here on Anchor, thanks for that. Call in with your favorite scenes and your other thoughts, theories, and speculations about Game of Thrones.